Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. The fact is, peers, our parents only ever want the best for us. And if you're the child of immigrants, the pressure to have stability can be felt tenfold. So what do you do when your path doesn't lead you to becoming a lawyer, engineer, or doctor? In today's episode, we sit down with Amrutha Vasan. As the co-founder of VR company InSpirit, Amrutha didn't follow the traditional path and pursue medicine as the rest of her family did. But instead, she decided to dedicate herself to helping children and students across the world. In this ep, Amrutha shares how she got bold with taking risks, why you need to become okay with failure, and the unspoken toll of entrepreneurial success. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us in our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Amrutha. Amrutha, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in EdTech, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for making the time for me. I'm super excited. Of course. 
Amazing. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'm Amrita. Um, I am one of the co-founders of InSpirit, and we are basically an interactive 3D science learning platform where um, we leverage the power of VR, XR um, to create interactive science simulations and to visualize science um, that is impossible to either experience in the real world or just too expensive for high school students to access. I guess a little bit of background about me. I did uh, my bachelor's in industrial and systems engineering, so I don't actually come from an educational background. I did this from Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and I basically met my co-founder freshman year through a fun club and then ended up reconnecting with him senior year, where I learned that he was doing a lot of research in immersive education. But what got me really excited was that he got to go to high schools and demo content with high school students and just kind of see what their engagement was, how excited they were, and then what their actual learning retention was as well. And so I kind of offered to volunteer to put together different material, to go to these schools and just kind of understand how students love the product. And what I didn't realize was that I was doing research, uh, but it actually turned out to be a research project. And then we stayed in touch and he went on to Stanford to do his PhD in immersive education. We continued doing a bunch of projects with universities in India. We worked with different schools in the US. And while he was at Stanford, we realized that no one was really building an accessible interactive science learning platform. So most of VR and immersive education at the time was stuck in the lab and it was in these like labs that cost millions of dollars, right? So not accessible to anyone. So we realized that we had figured out a way to make cheap VR accessible, but still useful for students and actually help with their learning. So that's kind of how we got started. Ah, it's so interesting. Amrita, I think, you know, when I looked into you and just it was just fascinating to read kind of what you're doing. We're now hearing it back now. It's even more interesting. And I can't wait to dive deeper into how you created the business with your co-founder. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh, what a wonderful question. So I was born and raised in the U.S., in different cities in the U.S. until I was 10 years old. And then I actually moved back to India with my family for fifth to 12th grade. Um, So I've kind of had a foot in each country, to be very honest, uh, because when we lived in the U.S., we spent all our summers in India. And then when we moved to India, we spent all our summers in the U.S. And I have family quite spread out. Um, But I personally really loved India a lot. I always knew I was going to come back for college, but I actually grew up in a family of healthcare professionals. Most of my family is in healthcare, and that was kind of all I'd ever really seen. I didn't even know what an engineer did, to be very honest. And so the reason that I picked Georgia Tech was because it was a good school, and I figured if I was going to go to medical school after that, it would be really expensive. So I just took the cheapest option, went in pre-med, and then by the first semester, like chemistry just kicked my butt. I didn't do as well as I had hoped I would. And very quickly, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do something if I'm not really great at it. I don't want to be struggling to do it. So quick self-evaluation made me get out of that and switch into industrial and systems engineering, which I also had no clue about. And then I went through kind of all the motions. I interned at startups. I tried out consulting every 
fancy corporate job that you could probably talk about in undergrad and really just didn't enjoy it. I would get bored really quickly. It wasn't exciting enough. And I didn't feel like I was actually doing anything meaningful, even though things were fancy and flashy. And so when I had this chance to kind of look into Inspirit, what drew me in was making biology videos. So if you scroll through like our old YouTube videos, you'll find these like 360 videos of the eukaryotic cell and like DNA replication and RNA translation, which were very difficult concepts for me when I was in school. And because I was focused on being a doctor, it was something that I paid a lot of attention to. But bringing those concepts to life with animators that I actually had to physically teach over Zoom was really fun. And it also made it easier because I lived in India before that. So it was a little bit easier for me to relate to people and kind of understand that system. But to be honest, for me, it was always kind of between healthcare and education. I always wanted to be in a field where I was making an impact and helping others. And if I couldn't actually be a doctor, maybe I can actually help enable some kids to get a better chemistry experience in school than I did. And I think just open up more doors because I was definitely not the kid that loved school. I just did school because I wanted to make sure I had a stable career, not because I loved it necessarily. So hopefully it can be better. Oh, it's so, so interesting. I, so many questions come from this. And I think the first one is growing up between two countries, you know, it's fascinating that, you know, you had your childhood in the US and then kind of in your teens, almost in India, you know, what, do you think that taught you about yourself kind of swapping between the two cultures and then also the two countries, you know, going back and forth between the two? What do you think that taught you about yourself and the world around you at that time? So I actually really loved moving to India. And this is very personal for me because I know that this is not necessarily the same experience that everyone has when shifting even between different cities or different schools. For me, I lived in Phoenix at the time, and I was probably like the only Indian kid in my school, probably the only vegetarian. I don't think people understood what being vegetarian was. While I did enjoy school and I loved my life, I think I just felt like I fit into India more at the time. What I really love in the U.S. now is I do think like it's just a lot more diverse. I think people are more aware. I didn't face racism, and I like I definitely want to underline that. I think it was more of just people not knowing or understanding, where I think that knowing and understanding is a lot broader right now. So for me, moving back to India was great because I was like, great, now I can like go and eat in people's houses without having to explain my diet. I can, you know, go to school without people necessarily asking me about different holidays that we might be celebrating that I didn't get to celebrate when I was in the US. I got to celebrate them in India. And when you're 10 years old, like those are really the things that matter to you. It's not really anything else. But the older I got, because my parents were actually considering moving back to the US, um, I personally really didn't want to because I got into sports. I played a lot of basketball. I got into anything that basically got me out of class. So like debate, model UN, you name it, I was probably doing it, to be honest. And I just had a really fun time. And I saw Kind of my cousins, my old friends, just studying a lot. I felt like they had a lot of homework to do. They just were constantly working on different projects, on different things in school. And like I said, I didn't enjoy school. So to me, that was not the system that I wanted to go into. I loved all the extracurricular activities that school gave me. And I just felt like I had a lot more time to do that in India because India is more of a test-taking country and system. So as long as you studied for your exams and you did okay, like you were fine. 
You mentioned that you didn't want to leave and that you felt more at home back in India and you felt more perhaps accepted for who you are and what you want to do and what you want to eat. How do we get better at perhaps accepting ourselves first so that others can accept who we are? I think it's a lot easier to do when you're older. I'll be very honest. I think when you're a kid, your environment really does affect you a lot. And I'm now meeting a lot of friends who in their college usually is kind of that turning point where they find the right people, they figure out themselves, and they become accepted. I think kids are just going through a lot. I really do think your environment matters a lot. And I think it's very unfair for us to expect a kid to really know themselves and to figure out exactly what they need to be doing. I also actually think childhood was a little easier for me than even being in corporate America, to be very honest, because I think the way that corporate America handles things is by just not asking anything or not talking about things. And so I think it's very important to understand someone's intention. I think as the person of a friend who might follow something different from you, like you should be ready to ask them in a very non-judgmental way and learn from them as well. But at the same time, that person also needs to accept that you're coming from a place of non-judgment because that truly is the only way of being accepted. I think by not asking or by keeping everything hush-hush, you're never truly going to fit in because people are just scared to get to know you, to get to know your culture. So I think understanding that other people are different, honestly, like making it a good place for you to be able to have open conversations, never being condescending, never being like accusatory, um, but just being genuinely curious I think that's the only way that you can also figure out how to accept other people, because I also don't think it's fair for you to expect someone to know everything. How can we get better at keeping an open mindset when we live in cities and countries and whatnot that almost forces us to just stay focused, to just stay siloed? You know, how do we get better at building or cultivating that open mindset? I think it falls on the people that have the ability to take action, right? I think it falls on them. I think like I I was at corporate. I could not open my mouth. I mean, I was on, on the bottom rung. I think someone was sick and I just asked them like, oh, what happened? Are you okay? The day when they got back. And then I was told I'm not allowed to ask what happened if someone falls sick. Wow. So it was very much very oh. good company. But I think in the name of making sure that you don't hurt anyone, they went to like an extreme. And after a point, I didn't know how to get close to anyone. I felt very out of place, even 11 months in, because it was a predominantly, you know, white company. I think every friend that I had of color probably left within two years and they kept talking about how they weren't able to retain people. And I was like, well, there's a reason. So I think it was very difficult. So I do think like it needs to come from the top, to be very honest. I think now I just have more agency. The people that actually have agency need to be the ones that are kind of cultivating this because I've been on both sides. I've been lucky enough to have agency this early on in my life. I don't think a lot of people get that, but finding mentors, finding peers that potentially relate to you, but also finding peers that don't relate to you and trying to get close to them because it's very easy for you to fall into your comfortable bubble and then not get to know other people. I, I really think it falls on the people with agency to bring that in. And I think just having like days where, If there's like an event that someone on your team is celebrating, like just having them even just talk about it, right? Like, oh, what are you going to do with your family? Can you share a picture of the food that you guys ate on that day? Food is usually a very easy way to start is what I've realized or just travel, vacation. These are like easy things. 
It's so true. I want to talk a bit about starting your business alongside your full-time job in corporate. So from what I see, I think you started the company in 2017 in August, and I think you were still working in your corporate job. You know, talk to us a little bit about managing the two and kind of what that was like in the really early days of kind of, you know, birthing this initial idea, working on it while still working full-time in an environment where you clearly, you know, didn't feel accepted and was perhaps tough to kind of be in every single day. What was that like for you and how did you balance it all? So I'm going to be honest, I don't have the typical like entrepreneur story that's like, oh, I was working 100 hours a week and like two jobs because that's not what it was. It started in 2017 because that's when we started building out general content for students to use and using it for our research. So we called it in spirit because you're going in spirit into something. Honestly, at that point, it felt more like a college project when it was actually just research and not something that we wanted to turn into a company. My co-founder and I, at the time, we actually sat down, I remember, at the Starbucks in our college, the last week of college, and we promised each other we would never take venture capital money, and we would just kind of see where this takes us and work with schools, because we just thought that by taking VC funding, it would corrupt your values, and you wouldn't be going after the right thing. So we were definitely very idealistic college students and we didn't run in any of the startup circles. We didn't run in the founder circles. We purely came from like an education research standpoint. So when we went on the next year, we had a couple of colleges in India that we were working with. We were trying to build out curricula for them, trying to understand the VR landscape. This was also before the Oculus Quest came out. So like the coolest invention in VR at that time was the Google Cardboard, just to set context for everyone. This was back in like 2018, before anyone knew what VR even meant. So we were just working with a couple of different folks. To be very honest, it was my co-founder at Stanford, and Stanford has a lot of entrepreneurs. There's like a lot of spaces for you to kind of understand how to build a company. And he actually came to me and said, if I raise the funding, like we've been working on this for a while, we've been doing the research, you know, I know that our intent is the same, which is to actually get a product out to people and not necessarily worry too much about like, business profits and how profitable can we make this? We really wanted to build a platform people would use. And our belief is if you build something people want, like the money will eventually come. That's that's truly both of our beliefs. And so he just asked me if I raise the money, will you move to India? Because someone needs to set up the team in India. And I like I'm doing my PhD. Stanford honestly got us a lot of really good connections. Um, It got our foot in the door in a lot of places. So it didn't make sense for him to leave. And I think because of how unhappy I was at my job, it took me like five minutes to say yes, even though all my friends, the rest of my life, everything was in the US. I had a really, really rough year. But I also think that if I was happy, there's a pretty good chance I wouldn't have started the company. So I do think everything happens for a reason. Um, So it was kind of an opportunity that we got. My co-founder did all the fundraising with BC. So we actually never really started the official company full-time until we raised funding. Because it was meant for VR, there was just no way for us to build a prototype or even show anything. The only thing we had was our research, credibility, because it's just too expensive to build. And so when we raised the money, that in a way, like our first investors agree with me when I told them this, it's like they basically paid for our MBA. Because it's not like we knew what we were doing. We were 23. Both of us are the same age. Um, but we were willing to figure it out. And so that's kind of where we were at. 
And so it, it wasn't bad balancing the two. My corporate job also just gave me a lot of time. Like I said, I was bored, so I didn't feel burned out or feel like I was doing too much. The story is so fascinating and I love the fact that you just dived headfirst, you know, and made the move back to India to get the business sorted and to get the team on board. You know, I think earlier on in our conversation, and I want to tie it back to what we're speaking about now, you mentioned that your entire family is in healthcare and that for you, you know, you were kind of almost groomed to go down that path and 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 to kind of go off and do pre-med and whatnot. For our peers out there listening who feel like perhaps they're in a similar situation, you know, perhaps they have a family of doctors or a family of lawyers or whatever it may be, and they feel the pressure to go off and follow through the family footsteps and, and do the same thing, but it doesn't feel right for them. What advice would you give to us around navigating through that? So I'm the daughter of immigrants, right? My parents moved in the 90s to the U.S. Very typical story. Um, They were educated, so they did have a better life than a lot of immigrants that came to the States, but they came in off of their profession, medicine, law, like engineering as well. If you go into the corporate world, these are very stable study paths, right? Where you know that eventually you're going to make enough to be able to put food on the table have a stable career, a stable family. And so I would say that was the mindset I was breaking out of, to be very honest. My dad actually didn't want me to become a doctor, even though he's a doctor. He thinks it's a very rough life for how much you work. He was like, you can't go into it for the money because you do work a lot for what you're doing. And he's an oncologist. So I think like we kind of just grew up hearing, you know, not the best stories, um, which is also why to me, like nothing is really that important except for your health. So I think for me, what was really important was actually to be independent. That was something I was pretty clear about. So I did, and I, I was pretty good at math. So I was like, you know, if I'm going to do anything, it's probably math. Something I recognized very early on was I think it's a lot harder to go into a role with talent. And I, I wouldn't say I had any talents necessarily. I was like ready to work hard ready to figure things out, but I wouldn't be like, you know, I'm going to be the best singer and I'm going to get to Broadway. There was nothing like that for me. So I think that's also a totally different conversation for people that want to pursue those paths. But the way that I thought about it was I was like, okay, I need something that will just make sure that I get food on the table, make sure that, you know, no matter what happens in my life, I can fend for myself. I can be independent. And just because I was at tech at the time, the only major that was really offered was engineering. I could not go into coding. I absolutely detest coding. So I just found what I thought was the easiest. And I was like, look, I just need a backup. And that probably came from that mindset of like, okay, don't take risks, right? Like very groomed into not taking risks. Um, I also um, had a significant other at the time um, who is now my husband, but like I've been with him for probably since freshman year of college. And he comes from a very opposite family where everyone is family. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all business owners and much more like ready to take risks than my family probably is. So I would also say that's probably how I got out of it as quickly as I did and even evaluated other options because he was constantly there pushing me into something else. The hardest part was for my dad was leaving my 401k and my Mm, health insurance. That was like three months of convincing him. And my dad came from nothing. So I, I totally understand, right? Like for him, it was always just make sure that you have all your boxes checked. For my mom, on the other hand, she did grow up with a little bit more privilege. And so her mindset on things were different. I wouldn't say a lot, but more than my dad. And so her mindset was a bit different. She's like, you know what? Just take the risk. Like the whole point of you doing your undergrad degree 
was so that you always had a fallback option. So why not? And so what I would say to people is I am a risk averse person all said and done, even though I'm running a startup, I always need to have a plan A, B and C. And I think that's also what helped me convince my parents too for what I wanted to go into. But for me, it's at every stage, I do think it's important for you to have something that you can fall back on, something that is stable, something that works. Because if you can do that, then I think it's easier for you to go out and take risks and then convince the people that it's fine that you're taking a risk because you have a fallback option. I will also caveat this with one final thing. My parents are also good with logic. I also totally recognize that not every family necessarily listens to logic. And so if that's the case, I don't know if I would have the right advice But I do think as long as you're looking out for yourself and you're sure that you can be independent at the end of the day, then I would just make the decision. But I would be smart about it. Like that's the advice I would give to any high school student, because I know that there's those one in a million stories, one in 500 million stories. I also did statistics for undergrad. So I think it's important (laughs) to just realize that things might work out, things might not. And it's not like my startup successful yet either. We're still on our journey. We're still on our path. So don't know what's going to happen. How do we get or become okay with this idea of failure? I think it's important to learn how to forgive yourself. That's still something that I am coming to terms with. And also I'm sure through COVID, like everyone's dealt with their fair share of failure, including me, including the people that I love around me. I personally think finding a very strong support group whether that's your family, your friends, other people like you is very, very important. And I actually like surrounding myself with people that are not doing anything related to what I'm doing, because I think the failures seem a little smaller because they don't really understand. And you have someone outside of your circle to talk to. Most of my best friends, totally different fields like liberal arts. But I think at the end of the day, like you talk about bigger picture things, you have certain people to talk about like your family, your career, whatever that is, I think you need to find different groups. Like even though I'm a founder, I'm probably not going to go to a group of successful founders and tell them about what I'm stressed about. I'd rather go to someone that's not in that group. And there's going to be failure. Like life is full of ups and downs. There's no way your life is only going to be only ups. There's just absolutely no way that's going to happen. And I think just seeing Like my dad's patients, for example, there are some people in their 20s that get cancer that pass away. There's some people in their 80s, 50s. Like, I just think having that reality check and being like, okay, I'm healthy. I'm okay. It's still so much better than what it could be is just helpful. And a failure is only as big as you make it out to be in your head. What's been your greatest failure to date? I think it's a lot of small ones. I haven't necessarily had very big ones, maybe also because I very quickly evaluated and got out of anything where I thought I could fail. I dropped pre-med because I made a B in a chemistry class. And there were many people who made C's in that class that went on to med school. So I think I just reevaluated my goals maybe a little too quickly. Um, But I think when you're running a company, there's constantly small failures, right? Like, needing to let go of someone because it's not good for the team. If there's a round that you need to raise, like we started our company throughout COVID. Venture funding was not great. EdTech took a hit and then it went up and then it took another hit. So every time you're fundraising just feels like a failure because everyone's telling you that what you're doing is wrong. Every time you try to explain your company to someone and they tell you 20 things you should be doing, that feels like a failure too. And so I think, thankfully, 
haven't had as big of one yet, but all these small things. I think the best advice I got from someone is uh, if you want to get advice from someone, talk to the person that's in the place that you want to be in. So like your parents might mean very, very well. Your friends might mean very, very well, but that doesn't necessarily mean their advice is the advice that you should be taking. So, so true. And just, yeah, I'm loving this chat and just such valuable advice. Oh, Amritha, I think, you know, we could go for days, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, you know, we talked about your failures, but what has been your greatest win to date? Oh, my greatest win has definitely been my husband. That's for sure. It's not the company. I think I got lucky enough to find a partner that supported me through everything, has probably seen all the ups and downs and is the person that told me to actually move to India and start this company. And that's why I made the decision in under five minutes. So I think just having someone that's kind of always your champion, um, especially if you go through something like starting a company or anything that involves very long working hours, it really takes a toll on your partner as well. Like I'm not present at a lot of family events. I'm not present in the house. I'm not necessarily the one cleaning things or, you know, doing as much around the house. He's definitely carrying his weight a lot more than I am. I think that is, whether it's a friend, a family member, I think it's just super important to have someone and to recognize them and value them because the emotional toll that a lot of things tend to take on you, it's going to be born by someone else, not just you. And they don't even get the wins out of it. They don't get the fame. They don't get anything else. They're just the silent people in the background. What have been some of your emotional tolls that you've gone through since starting the business? I think it definitely takes up a lot of your time. I'm a very social person. I'm not the person that loves staying at home and you know, just working all the time. But I think after a point, like you have to put the company first because there's a bunch of people whose livelihoods depend on you, right? You're funding entire families in some cases where they might be the only breadwinner or income owner in their family. And so when you kind of have that on your shoulders and also the fact that the buck stops with you, it can be a lot. I am definitely like just maintaining my friendships. I haven't made a single new friend in the last three and a half years because I think the friends that I have are kind enough to still call me their friends, not that I've done anything. I have a lot of friends getting married now, um, not necessarily able to go to all of their weddings or all of their functions. Again, they're very, very understanding, but it's also time that I recognize I'm not going to get back, which is why it's so important for you to be doing something with a purpose. Like if I was just in this for the money, I don't know if I I would have stayed. I probably would have left and just joined a job if it was for the money. Like I truly need to believe that I'm making a difference for it to be worth all of this. It's so, so true. Look, Amrita, over the last five years or three and a half years full-time in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've received so much recognition for your work, although it hasn't been easy. And you most recently were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. What are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I don't think anyone talks about all the work that goes behind success. Maybe some people do. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are more articles and videos out there now. I didn't realize how much work there was behind actually being successful. I also 
don't think these awards mean that much, to be very honest. Like, while it helps to get your name out and to have more people hear about you, I mean, it's an award. And then you open the email and then you go back to work because you need to go build your product. And so I think it's really important to like keep fame or any sort of recognition that you get separate. Um, because there are some people that have gotten recognition and then things haven't necessarily gone very well, right? And so every time we get something, like the first thing in the back of my mind is like, okay, back to building. Like now I have to go back and actually prove that I deserve to earn this because I don't necessarily feel that yet. And then I think I had already mentioned before, like find someone that is in the place that you want to be in and seek advice from them as well. But the last thing I would say is like, don't go after fame, recognition, awards, money. I think you really just need to find something that you're good at, an intersection of like something you're good at and then something that you enjoy doing. And you're probably going to thrive in that and just be very, very, very sincere about your work. Like be very disciplined, hold yourself accountable to the work that you're doing and don't think too much about the results. The results will come if you're putting in the effort. The results will come. Oh, I've loved this, Amrita. Before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us, in particularly us, you know, young, ambitious women of colour that if we have that vision, that goal and that dream, even though it may take a lot of hard work to even get going, you know, we can get there and, you know, we, we can make it happen. For that, we really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? That you're probably going to be doing your best work. I wouldn't say that it doesn't feel like work. It's still work. I know that's what a lot of people say. Um, but I think it's that you're probably going to do your best work, which means you're going to put the best thing that you, you are capable of out into the world. Amazing. Ah, Amrita, thank you so much. We've had an absolute blast. Where can we learn more about you and in spirit? Oh, thank you. Um, so I am on LinkedIn. I generally respond to messages. My name is Amrita Vasan. And then just about Inspirit, our website is inspiritvr.com. And we're updating it right now. So hopefully you come onto our updated website. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It's been so, so awesome. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. 
to see what else we're up to, visit thepierceproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepierceproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Listener.